Welcome to In My Backyard, an open conversation about children and mental health. We all know a child who's struggling, whether that child tells us or not. In this podcast, we speak with experts on the many factors of emotional distress in children, how to address those factors, and how to create a community where all children can be healthy and happy. This podcast is made possible through generous donations from supporters and listeners like you. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Your host is Trisha Costales, CEO of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. I'm Trisha Costales, your host of In My Backyard. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the chief executive officer of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency serving 3,500 children and families every year. Before we start, please note that in today's podcast, we're going to have a very important conversation about suicide, which might be painful and triggering for some listeners. If you are experiencing thoughts of suicide or are worried that someone you love might be suicidal, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. Help is available. In this episode, we're going to discuss something many of us have read about in the news. That is the recent heartbreaking pattern of completed suicides by elite female student athletes. Since March of this year, four high profile female athletes have taken their own lives on college campuses. All were top performing athletes at major universities and seem to have everything going for them. I think we need to acknowledge them here, say their names out loud. Ideally, we will learn from the tragedies of their suicides so other lives might be saved. Katie Meyer was a star goalkeeper for the Stanford University soccer team, an elite athlete at an elite school. Sarah Schultz was a top cross-country runner for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She was a local California girl before heading to college. Lauren Burnett was a champion softball catcher for James Madison University. Her death by suicide so impacted the team, their season was canceled. Arlana Miller was a freshman on the cheerleading team at Southern University and A&M College in Louisiana. She was only 19 when she died by suicide. Kelly Peace writes, 33% of college students experience emotional and mental health struggles, and roughly 30% of them seek help. By contrast, only 10% of student athletes who need mental health services seek it. Athletes are trained to push themselves to the limit, and when those limits are pushed to the edges, they dig deep and keep going. Being an elite college athlete does not statistically mean greater risk of mental illness, depression, or suicide. Dr. Ashwin Rao et al. found in 2015 that suicide rates among NCAA athletes were lower than that of the general and collegiate population of similar age, although it was still the third leading cause of death among this group. In fact, school sports bring with them many potential mental health benefits, 
being outside, being a member of a team, physical activity. These are all things that we know improve mental and emotional well-being. At the same time, Drs. Armstrong, Burson, et al. write, athletes are trained to be both physically and mentally tough. Therefore, feelings of hopelessness, loneliness, and lack of self-worth are viewed as personal flaws, which in turn creates increased stigma within these groups around getting mental health treatment. Depression is a disparaging health problem for all young adults, but what is unique about the student athlete is the pressure he or she may feel to perform even under duress. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Julia Amato, a licensed clinical and sports psychologist and CEO of Elite Mindset Sports Psychology. She works with high-level athletes and teams across the country on developing the skills and practices necessary to overcome obstacles and push the boundaries of athletic potential. Julie is herself a former Division I college and then professional basketball player. Welcome, Julie. Uh, like our listeners, I did not have the pleasure of knowing you or meeting you prior to today's conversation. I actually came across your name in a CNN article where you were quoted. Uh, would you like to say a few words to introduce yourself, please? Sure. And thanks for having me. It's it's going to be fun to have this conversation with you. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. I'm a, a clinical and sports psychologist, and I work primarily with college and professional athletes. That's my whole practice is focused there. I'm also a mom. I've got a boy and girl twins in fourth grade. And I have twins too. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's fun being a twin mom. It is. Uh, and stressful sometimes, but mostly fun. And um, yeah, so I, I love what I do. I'm privileged to get to do what I do and I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, thank you for being here. You know, I, I assume given your sort of professional area of expertise that you followed the stories of these uh, really tragic student athlete suicides. It, it feels like a pattern to the observer. And I don't know if it's a new pattern and we're just or it's always been and it's just being reported on now. But sort of what are your thoughts on this? Does it feel like there's an uptick? Well, Suicide statistics are really hard to come by in college athletes. I don't know if you've noticed that in, in doing your research. So it's it's hard to really know. But what we do know is there has been an uptick uh, each year, really, for the past almost decade in anxiety and depression in college students. So those statistics are, are out there and available. So each year, it seems like those numbers are going up. Um, and so student athletes are not immune to that. And then, yeah, of course, this has been a really rough time across the country in the college athletics community. You know, it's shocking. Uh, and especially, as you said, in, in close succession to have these, these tragic losses, it's certainly impacted many of the folks that I work with who don't even know these young people, but can empathize with what's going on. And, and of course I can too. It's, you know, as a parent and someone who works with athletes, it's, it's quite sad. Right, well, and as someone who was an athlete. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's hard as as a former athlete, as a mom, and all the different hats that I wear, to see any young person, you know, ha have to be lost this way. Um, and so, hopefully, having these kinds of conversations can help in the sense of getting young people to, you know, seek help if needed. 
That's my hope. That's honestly the whole purpose of the entire podcast is to elevate the conversation about it. So people um, are less reluctant to ask for help when they need it. But in your professional capacity, and, you know, correct me if I get any elements of this wrong, but you help elite athletes to get to the next level to develop that mindset to be successful. But on the flip side, are we pushing our young athletes too hard? Are we making them feel that too much is riding on their athletic success? Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question for sure. Um, so yes, in my professional capacity, my role is really interesting because I do have a specialty focus in performance psychology, as you said. Let's get the most that we can from our potential. Let's develop some skills, you know, to persevere when things are difficult, to reset after mistakes, um, to prepare, you know, to manage performance anxiety, all of these different tools and strategies just to perform at your best. Um, but on the other side, too, I also work with them on just regular old mental health and wellness, you know. So my my overall goal is if you feel well, you're going to perform well. So I really try to address the whole person in that sense. And we talk about all kinds of things in sessions. You know, sometimes it's about sport and sometimes it's not about sport. So, so to answer your question on that side, yes, of course, my goal is to help athletes be the best they can be athletically, but also just as human beings. Um, and then, you know, are we pushing our young athletes too hard? Well, it depends who you mean by we, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, so... I've definitely been in situations working with young athletes where they have some very overbearing parents um, who are quite demanding of them. And on, uh, you know, on the one hand, it might help them to succeed or get to that uh, next level. But at what cost is the question emotionally, because now you've got young people who have their self-worth very tied to their athletic performance. I also have many athletes I work with who have very compassionate, kind, understanding parents who don't really care how they perform in sports and don't put pressure on them in any way. Yet that particular athlete puts that pressure on themselves for some mm -hmm. reason. What are those reasons? I mean, that could take a few hours to unpack. Is it comparison culture with social media? Is it, you know, fear of disappointing coaches? Um, you know, have they somehow internalized this idea that their self-worth and their value is tied to their athletic performance? I think that's a huge issue and a big problem. Um, and so, you know, the cause of it isn't always clear. It's sometimes it is related to being pushed too hard by you fill in the blank parent, coach, whoever. Um, but I think also too, it's just this idea of, you know, sport identity, a strong sport identity and tying worth to performance. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I really appreciate your saying that when you work with athletes, uh, you have this holistic approach. I think that I think I won't get your exact words right, but that you know, if they fear if they're feeling good, if their mental health is sound, they're going to perform better. So it is holistic. I appreciate that very much. Um, but you know, between classes, workouts, tournaments, it's pretty time consuming to be an elite athlete. You know, all the demands that come with competition at a very high level. Um, student athletes have to feel that their plates are really full, that they don't have time for self-care to just be like a college kid. And how, what should we be doing to help them manage that? And I don't mean you, we 
like the sports psychologists, I mean, sort of collectively. The collective we. To help them manage that. Yes, the proverbial collective we. We could, all do, we could all do better in many, many ways. Um, but yes, this is a top, I'd say, three issue in terms of sitting across from college athletes. Like, how do I balance all of this? You know, there's so much. Um, there's 20 hours or more. They would estimate closer to 30 hours a week, you know, in terms of their practice. You know, it's not just practice, a two-hour practice. It's getting there early to practice, getting treatment before practice, doing recovery after practice, weightlifting, individual workouts. I mean, there, it, it goes on and on. Um, and so, you know, sports psychology meetings, nutrition meetings, you know, team meetings in general, watching film, they have a lot. And, and there's no doubt about that. And the reason is that, especially at the division one level, I mean, it's competitive, you know, and they're trying to, to win. Um, and so... You know, I do think there are times where it's too much. Um, and so, you know, on, on that side, could we do better to tighten this up? <laughs> could we make practices a little shorter sometimes? Um, yes, I think we could. And I think that's, that's messaging that coaches are starting to be more receptive to hearing like, hey, maybe we could just be more efficient with this practice time. I know usually it's two or two and a half hours, but maybe we can get done in 90 minutes. You know, maybe we can shorten that and give them some of their time back. Uh, maybe we can surprise them once in a while with a day off that they didn't expect. Um, so there are certain things, you know, that we can do to try to accommodate the athletes, certainly giving them their schedule well in advance so that they can plan around it is really important too. Um, I remember competing as a college athlete. Like if you had to change practice time, there was legit like a landline phone and a phone tree and you had to call each person. Now these kids have devices and people can change stuff on them very last minute. And, and it's hard for them to keep up with that. Um, but if you ask them what their hobbies are, the things they do for fun, there is not much time for that. And, and, and that is a shame. And that, that is something that, um, I know the college kids struggle with quite a bit. Yeah. I know my, um, my ex-husband, he, he was a college athlete. He won state in wrestling and then, uh, got a free ride to Notre Dame and lettered there. But as he was picking his colleges, one school, which will remain unnamed, told him, don't come here and expect to get an education. You come here and you're just going to compete. And then when you're done, if you want to get an education, you can stay and learn something, but don't think you're going to come here and do that. Fortunately, he didn't go to that school, yeah. wow. but I'm glad to hear that there's perhaps some sort of shifting away from, or acknowledgement of those pressures and that time for other things matters as well. Time for other things matters. The challenge is finding it. Um, yeah. And I think- Many of the schools that I work with are, are also high level academic places. So we, you know, the athletes that I work with care very much about their academics as well as their athletics, which is what's really hard because if it was just sport and they didn't care about school, well, maybe they wouldn't have a big problem on their hands, but they want to do it all and they want to have a social life if they can. Um, and so oftentimes one of those three things goes by the wayside. And um, so that's hard. Um, while I was doing research for today, I read that football players actually have the highest suicide rates amongst college athletes. And I've thought a lot about that, watching the hype around college sports. And, you know, these players are still kids and there's can be this really sort of passionate fan base around them that, you know, furious at them if they make mistakes, et cetera. And, you know, that's a really high level of pressure for young adults, many of whom are still teenagers. Could you just sort of speak to that? 
Yeah, that's it. It is way too much, you know, on these young people. There, we call them adults when they turn eighteen, but you know, for the most part, they're they're still they're in between, right? They're, right? they're not kids, and they're not quite adults. And you know, that part of the brain is still developing at that age as well. So. Um, you know, between 18 and, and 25 or 26, the part of the brain that processes emotional material and makes decisions and, and all of that is, is still underdeveloped. We're not there yet. So they experience emotions more intensely and small things seem like big things to them. I'm sure we can all relate to having a, a breakup during your teenage or college years that felt like the end of the world, literally. End of the world. End of the world, right? right? <laughs> and so for some of these kids, if they aren't performing the way they want to, that feels catastrophic for them um, or other things, you know, didn't get the grade that they wanted to. So, you know, we have to understand that and put it in context. Um, that's a sad stat about football players. Um, you know, I know these statistics are a little hard to come by. It's not totally surprising just because we know young men complete suicide at a higher rate uh, than women in general, and they have the largest rosters as well. And then, of mm. course, you know, I know there's higher rates with with folks with head injury, and that, that could be a, a piece of it there, too. Um, but, yeah, we need to back off <laughs> these yeah. young people. It is you know, it's, it's kind of a low blow. And, and now with the internet and social media, you can take all kinds of shots at kids and it's, it's brutal. It's a little pathetic for grown adults to be doing that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I do want to note, I found the same thing you're saying as it relates to research. Normally for my podcast, I find tons of articles, research, you know, re- journal articles. I found very few. I, I had to pull predominantly from newspaper articles, which isn't the norm. So this yeah. does seem like an area where we could um, do some more research and, you know, maybe our profession yeah. should step up a little bit. Yeah, it's it's gotten me thinking a lot about, you know, taking a deeper dive here and really fleshing this out. But I think some of the statistics out there, approximately 1,100 college students die by suicide each year. And so, you know, I think you asked the question, is this a pattern? Well, four or five athletes is, is nowhere near the 1,100 total right. number. And, and we don't have any evidence to suggest that competing in college athletics places you at higher risk of, of, of suicide. In fact, there's lots of great benefits to, to participating in sport. At the same time, you know, NCAA athletes identify mental health as their number one health and safety concern. You know, oh, so wow. They, they themselves were, identify yes, they that? Do. They do. And in response to that, the NCAA has provided mental health guidelines and and different things um, to help educate coaches and and people working with athletes. But the the main issue is, you know, student athletes are just as likely as non-athletes to have mental health issues. They're just far less likely to seek help. And to me, that is the biggest issue and the biggest problem. I, I would agree with that. And I, I found that in what I read as well, that, you know, they're, they're not immune to the mental health issues that the whole general population has, but they're, they're less likely to get help. And it seems to me, that's why we're having this conversation. Why do you think that is? Why do you think student athletes are less likely to ask for help? Well, we asked some of our athletes, um, we asked that question actually in a survey with some of our athletes. And one of the reasons is just a natural preference to take care of one's own problems, which is not a big surprise in, in terms of sport culture. It's, 
you know, don't whine, don't complain, suck it up, push through. Um, so I think that's one piece of it. Um, some of them just didn't know what resources were available. Uh, some of them have gone to seek help and haven't, you know, found it particularly helpful. I think the really the main issue is um, the stigma is still a really big problem. And so within sport culture, I think asking for help is around many sport cultures still considered a sign of weakness. Um, and so they're afraid. They're afraid to seek help because of what others might think. Would that impact their playing time? Um, I think that is the biggest issue. And one of the ways that I've tried to deal with that in my role is to just get out in front of teams, be introduced by the coach and have the coach say, hey, this is our sports psychologist. She's a part of our staff. She's somebody that we use and everybody should go see her as much as possible. Just even if you're feeling good, you should go talk to her and figure out, you know, how can you continue to develop skills because things are going to get hard you know, here and, and it's demanding, it's a demanding environment. And so you should get ahead of this. And so, you know, nationally about 10% of athletes seek mental health services, even though we know somewhere between 30 and 40% have some struggles. Um, the places where I am now, uh, primary at Lafayette, Lafayette College and Princeton University, you know, we see, I see personally about a quarter of our athletes. So 25%. And that's built up over time. You have to have somebody in there that they trust, that they can relate to. And I think, you know, if colleges are doing it right, you're getting some mental health folks out in front of your athletes, you're actively encouraging them to seek help. And then when you think they need to see somebody, you're saying, hey, go make this appointment so that they know it's okay. And it's normal. That's fantastic. Uh, that 25%. I mean, you're well above yeah. the national average. I too read that only 10%. Yeah. Two is the norm. So, well, that's just me though, too. That's not even those who go to the counseling center. So I think, I think that it can be improved. That number can go up. Um, but you know, and, and some of our pro athletes out there, Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, um, Kevin Love, to name a few, DeMar DeRozan have come out and talked about their issues. And I think that helps, you know, mm -hmm. every time they're doing that, they're saving lives and, and making it okay. And normalizing, Hey, like you're a human being above all else. We understand you're tougher than the average bear, but sometimes you still need to seek help. Right. Yeah. I think they are incredibly brave and inspirational by talking about their struggles so publicly. In a U.S. news article, Dr. Stephanie Coakley, the Senior Associate Athletic Director of Mental Health, Wellness, and Performance at Temple University says, there are many protective aspects of being affiliated with a collegiate sport, like being motivated towards accomplishing something big, working with a team, being physically active, there with friends. She adds, however, that the possibility of injury, poor sleep, and damaged self-esteem if struggling are real potential threats to an athlete's well-being. We shouldn't discount the impact of the pandemic when looking at the recent pattern of athlete suicides. While the pandemic was catastrophic for mental health across the nation, young athletes may have been hit especially hard. As Roman Stubbs wrote in the Washington Post, for many teens who've been restricted from playing sports, the pandemic not only has stripped away the opportunity for exercise, competition, and potential college scholarships, but has also deprived these young athletes of the identity and social circles provided by sports. 
When a thing that is core to a young person's identity is removed or disrupted, it has the potential for higher risks of challenging psychological and emotional functions. While sports have returned, the emotional and psychological impacts are not necessarily yet alleviated. Interesting, and perhaps alarmingly, the physical injuries that are not uncommon amongst elite athletes could have the same devastating consequence, stripping a young person of the thing with which they most identify, the thing that has been central to their life and to who they are. What about injuries or, you know, I, you think, you know, a high school, it's a, you're competing within a group and, but then all of a sudden you're competing at college and you're not the best necessarily anymore. Um, and so that must feel painful or if you're injured and can't play, um, these do have the potential to challenge the core identity of a star athlete. And you talked about how you think, having their identity wrapped up around that exclusively is a problem, but you know, how, how can we, what could we be doing to, to help in those situations? Yeah. I mean, we talk about how athletes have struggles just the way non-athletes do, but some of their struggles are unique, unique to being an athlete. So injury is one of them. And obviously uh, playing time is another, those are kind of unique student athlete issues. And yeah, it is, very surprising, you know, when you get here and you're a freshman in college and you were the star on your team, and now all of a sudden you can't even get yourself out on the field or on the court because there are people who are better than you, just flat out better. You know, they've been in the strength and conditioning program longer, they're more experienced. Um, or it could be somebody even worse, maybe another freshman first year student is just <laughs> better than you. <laughs> Sometimes you can accept it if it's someone older, but when it's your peer, you know, or younger, have that. <laughs> yeah, younger, that'd That's, be horrible. <laughs> oh, yes. There's all kinds of different things that I see, but the junior year phenomenon is also one of them where you're waiting and you're, you think you're going to play by junior year and you're kind of patiently waiting your turn. And then all of a sudden a freshman comes in and you realize, wow, the writing's on the wall. I'm never going to play. Wow. So those are definite uh, issues, you know, that, that I help young people through and sit with them and feel sad for them and with them and watch them cry about it and be upset about it. Um, same thing with injuries, you know, it's not the career they think they're going to have all of a sudden they have a season ending injury and, um, these are, these are really tough things. And so, you know, you're right. It comes back to identity and the injured athlete sometimes has to start to figure out who they are outside of sport sooner than they thought. And so in some ways that's a silver lining, they start to learn their other skills and things that they are passionate about. Um, if they want to try to make the most of that situation, but when you're in that situation, it can be quite depressing and, and, and difficult. What resources do parents have? You know, at the college level, these kids are legally adults. So um, parents can feel tied, that their hands are tied. But how can parents support their children? Well, I think from a very, very young age, you know, like you and I talked about being parents and I've got young kids and, you know, my kids play sports and you have to resist the urge to uh, be their their coach, or I mean, sometimes maybe you are their coach, but if you're not their coach and you're just their parent, um, try to avoid those car ride home conversations where you're critiquing and doing all those things. And so from a young age, really trying to develop a relationship with your kids outside of sport, you know, so sports, something they do, it's not who they are. Right. So we've got to start young with that. And, 
you really only need to say, Hey, I really love watching you play, or I love you. And, you know, I can see how hard you're working out there. You know, we certainly don't want them to think that their value is derived from how they perform. Right. And, and sometimes it's not even what you say, it's what you don't say after a performance and, and just a look on a parent's face of disappointment. In my mind, parents should not be disappointed in their kids after a poor sports performance. You can be disappointed in them if they were rude to the officials or they were a bad teammate, but certainly not if they didn't score a certain number of points and things of that nature. Um, so that's got to start pretty young. And then at the college level, man, that's tough because your kids go away and you're not there every day to support them. But that's their developmental task for that age is, is trying to be independent and separate from you. So I think sometimes, you know, checking on them, but also giving them space, not hovering, being overbearing. Um, you know, you can ask them about their, their game and, you know, how was it? But certainly um, I, I see a lot of athletes who they dread having to call, you know, their parents after a performance because... You know, they know dad's going to rip into them or whatever the case might be. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. I remember one of my sons used to play hockey, junior hockey, and there was a, a mom sitting next to me. Her son was the goalie and she just started kicking and punching the glass because he let a puck in and swearing yeah. at him through the glass, pounding on it, kicking it. And I went and told the I went and told the coach, I mean, you need to do something about this. But, and these were high school kids, junior high, yeah. I don't remember, but young. So it's something mm -hmm. like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Some of these parents really need to pull themselves together. It's, I think maybe have, the parents' yeah. identity gets wrapped up in the kids' oh, athletic for sure. performance. <laughs> for sure. And I know most parents are very well-meaning and well-intended and they want the best for their kids, but um, you know, it's really important just to support them as, you know, and love them and care about them and, and, and all of those things and, you know, let their athletic performance be, be what it is. Right. You know, I think we're doing this year round sport thing and pushing kids uh, and over scheduling. And, you know, I don't know where we're going with all of this because the percentage chance of your kid playing at the division one level and getting a scholarship is so low. Um, you can go on the NCAA website and see what it is for your particular sport. In my sport, it was 1.2%. Wow. You know, and I was one of that 1.2%, but by no means do I expect my kids to be in that percentage. Um, my belief is just expose them to sport, let them enjoy it, let them learn all the awesome lessons from playing sport. And if they're going to be great at it and passionate about it and they want to pursue it, that's going to happen whether I push them to do that or not. That's that's fantastic uh, advice for parents. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What can we do then to, we touched on this a little bit, but what can we do to improve the stigma around asking for help with this group that's identified for toughness? Yeah, this is a really important question. So, you know, as we talked about before, of course, building into the athletic culture at your particular institution, a sports psychology resource or mental health resources, introducing the athletes uh, to those people right at the beginning of the season and just saying, Hey, here's the network of people around you that can help you, you know, if you're struggling, you know, and, and just making it known that that's okay with you as a coach. Um, then of course, you know, we need athletes to be able to share their stories. And so if we can get some brave and courageous athletes to continue to talk about things that they've struggled with, um, you know, instead of always suffering alone, you know, Hey, I went to talk to Dr. So-and-so and it was really helpful. 
you know, like I go to team meetings sometimes and I'll introduce myself and somebody will spontaneously say that, Hey, I work with Dr. Julie. She's really great. And, uh, you guys should definitely, you know, if you need anything, she'll, she'll help you out. It's like, boom, that's the most powerful, that's fantastic. Yeah, the most powerful endorsement you, you can get. Um, and so that's a really important piece, but I think the coaches are the main gatekeepers. You know, if we can get coaches to really, you know, embrace this idea that asking for help is only going to make their athlete, you know, better, healthier person. Uh, that that's something that I think is, is really powerful within an athletic department. Thank you. You know, every one of our episodes, I always end the conversations on a note of hope mm. um, at the guidance center. That's sort of our, our message is a message of hope. So you do important and hard work. Um, what continues to sort of give you hope in the work that you do? What are the bright sides that you see? Oh, there's so many bright sides. Uh, you know, these, these young people are, are amazing. You know, they're smart and they're compassionate and they're hardworking and they want to do well. And so I think most of us as human beings are oriented that way. You know, we want to do well, we want to succeed. We want to be good people. So I, I choose to see the good, you know, in people. And I think, um, you know, sometimes this generation gets a little bit of a bad beat. And I think it's a little bit of a lazy narrative to say that they're not as resilient or they're not as tough. Um, I think that's off base. I think these kids are dealing with a lot. And, um, you know, I find most of them to be extremely tough and thoughtful and, you know, willing to, you know, share their struggles. And, you know, I think young, the young people that I work with are, are truly, truly amazing. They brighten my day. I learn a lot from them. So. That's beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. I think this is a really important conversation about mental health and athletes reading the stories of these suicides has just been heartbreaking. So I just think it's vital that we talk about it. So I appreciate you taking the time to be here. All right. Thank you so much. It's my position that by shining a light on these issues, admitting that they are in our own backyards, it will be easier for a struggling child to get some help. Ideally, we can all begin to be kinder and more supportive of each other. In My Backyard is brought to you by The Guidance Center, a children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. In My Backyard is produced by Trisha Costales and Matthew Murray. Thank you to J. Vincent B. for original music. All other music licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you to our listeners and supporters. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Subscribe to In My Backyard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.